0: much does Hashem organize things in this world that he organized that we should have a broken guitar
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> for today's Diver Thank you, Chaim. Thank you for trying. No, this is perfect. This is exactly what we needed. We're in Chodesh El, and we're preparing ourselves. And the first thing that a person needs to do when they prepare themselves is to have an honest look in the mirror and realize what's broken and what's working. It's an amazing thing how you could have a guitar with five out of the six strings totally, perfectly tuned and working, and one of them is missing, and... the natural inclination of a person is to focus on what's broken. Five out of the six are are great, but when I'm playing the guitar, it's just my natural inclination is to be like, there's something... this is a broken vessel. And there's too many times that a person in their life can look at the broken vessel that is themselves and say, Well, if it's broken, like, I might as well just put it down. I might as well not even use it. Tshuva, like we began to speak about yesterday, or on Tuesday night, in the Sicha, begins with looking at what's working right. It begins by taking a, a proper accounting and seeing that there's so much that I'm doing that's perfect and good, and that the Torah is supposed to reveal to me those things that still need to be fixed up, to be recalibrated back in the right direction. People think that it's hypocritical to not be perfect, and that's true. But the hypocrisy <laughs> is not when they do the good thing. The hypocrisy is when they're not doing the good thing, because everybody sitting in this room is endowed with a chelik <laughs> mal, It's a It's mufurash that every single one of us is perfect. We're endowed with a piece of the divine, and I'm a latar tar. And hilchas mivos, there's a there's a halacha that if you have a, a pool of water that's not tahor. And it touches a mikveh that's kosher. So that's called nishika. The two of the waters kiss, as it were. They intermingle. And the bath that wasn't kosher, that was just bath water, running bath water, is nishapich to be a mikveh tahara. And we have a chileke <laughs> el we have a piece of the divine. And that piece of the divine overrides everything else, to the point that we are kulotov. It's just that we have a funny way of covering over that kulotov and breaking strings on the guitar along the way and then feeling like one thing is broken, that defines who I am. Most of us is good, most of us is okay. But there are things that are broken, we have to learn how to not put down the guitar, not put down the broken instrument. But to be able to say that even if one of the strings is broken, Hashem wants me to work with those strings. And when I have the ability to, especially at a time like this, when we have the great tzachos of being able to prepare for a yom tov and yeshiva, like, whoa, what a I have nothing else that our meals are taken care of. Even the shirim are taken care of. It's just like a buffet, come and eat as much of Hashem's beautiful Torah as you want. And so we have the luxury of just putting on whatever strings are missing from our particular avodah. There's a Torah from the the tzaddikim of Sachachav, the Abnei Nezer, the Shem and their descendant, David in the Sefer Naoz Desheh, he's going to quote this idea, a proof from the Torah that a person has to start from what's not broken. You know, if there are two people who are waiting online in the Beisam HaMikdash to bring a carbon, and one of them has to bring a khatas and the other one has to bring an ola. And there's a Kohen who's free. And the Kohen, there's one Kohen there, and they're up to the sprinkling of the blood. So the Gemara says that the main part of bringing a carbon Chatas is the sprinkling of the blood. And the main part of bringing a carbon ola is the burning of the fats in the limbs of the carbon. Those are two different parts of the carbon. So the Gemara says in Svachim that if a person is standing online, two people standing online, one of them has to bring a carbon chattas, the other one has to bring a carbon ola. And there's a Kohen who says, Who needs sprinkling of blood? They both need sprinkling of blood. But since the ikkur of the carbon chattas is the sprinkling of the blood, so the one who's bringing the chattas gets priority. He brings, he gives the blood to the Kohen, the Kohen sprinkles, and then he comes back for the ola. But if there's a coin is available for burning the limbs, since the main part of the ola is burning the limbs, so he gets priority over the person at the khatas. That's how it works in the basic Mikdash. What's the depth of this gamar? What's the gamar trying to tell us? So when a person brings a carbon chatas, it's because they did some of air with their body by accident their mind wasn't in it, their heart wasn't in it. If their mind was in it, it would have been amazing that they couldn't bring a korban. A korban chatas is because you accidentally violated some prohibition. And so you bring a korban chatas because you accidentally violated Shabbos. It wasn't on purpose. Your your arms moved in a certain way and you had forgotten that it was Shabbos and your body, but your heart wasn't in it, your mind wasn't in it, your, your neshama wasn't in it. There was no passion. It was just, your body was acting goofy. Pun intended. And if... You're bringing a carbon ola, says the Gemara, it's because you were having machshavos of Now you might think, I never have machshavos of because I don't believe in that stuff. Achshavos means that you were having doubts about your relationship with Hashem and you were thinking about trying to figure out how to make meaning out of your life somewhere else. You wanted to make something else your deity. We're having machshavas of avodah zara, and so the main part of the carbon ola is the is the burning of the limbs, and the main part of the chatas is the burning of the, of the is the sprinkling of the blood. <coughs> but shouldn't it be the opposite? Wouldn't it make the opposite? It made so much more sense if, if I bring a carbon chatas because I did something with my limbs? Shouldn't the main part of the carbon chatas be the burning of the limbs? And if the avodah zara that I was sort of having this passionate moment with something outside of Hashem, I was having a passionate relationship. I was committing adultery in my relationship with Hashem with some other force that I thought maybe that would be the answer to my life's problems. That's a passional crime. That's a crime where I was thinking of looking away from Hashem in a way that involves <coughs> my, my kishkas. Ki adam hua nefesh. It's my soul there that's active in the Avodah Zarah. It's the blood. It's my life's blood that I'm putting into it. So wouldn't it make more sense that the carbon Ola, which is for Avodah Zarah, should be mainly about what I did in terms of the crime that I had with my blood, that my blood was boiling for something other than Hashem. And the chattas where my limbs acted out of order, that should be the main thing. The... So from here, Tzadikim say we see a Raya Barura from the Gemara itself, that Tshuva starts with what's not broken. Tshuva starts with recognizing that there's five out of six strings on this guitar that are working. Chuva begins by saying, I'm pretty good. The hypocrisy in my life is the times that I'm not waking up for davening, or the times that my eyes veer in the wrong direction, or that my mouth says something I shouldn't say. But the main thing in my life is that I'm awake to the fact that I'm a servant of Hashem, and things are pretty much in order. If we would begin by seeing what's working, there's a Torah from the Rav son in this week's parsha. It's cool that the Rapshetser had a son. Rav Naftali of Rupshitz had a son named Eliezer, Rav Blazer Mijikov. And he wrote a beautiful Sefer. And the Sefer has a Torah about, um, you know, Parshas Netzevan by they're like the hardest partials. My ostensibly great, great, great ancestor with the tzaddikim from Pshischa? We have a, a, a tradition in my family that Rav Simcha Bunim of Pshischa somehow is related to our family. Rav Simcha Bunim used to, and the Yehudi Kadosh also, in that bais they used to study Devarim as their seder muster all year. Sefer Devarim is so harsh and so sweet, like we spoke about last week. If you know how to read it, like it's coming from a father who cares about you, but it's so, whoa, like you can't read Parshas and Vayelech without shuddering, if you take it even the slightest bit seriously. In the middle of those harsh words about how Hashem is going to straighten us out if need be, at the end, towards the end, there's some Psukim where it talks about how Hashem is going to bring us back. There are psikkim about how Hashem is going to bring us back at the end of Nitzavim. And then after all of this befalls the Jewish people, there's the possibility of tshuva, and that Hashem is going to come and He's going to return us back into His loving embrace. And the Pesach describes, I can't find it right now, the Pesach describes Hashem going to the Ketzei Hashamayim, to the end of the heavens to find us. Going to the end of the heavens, I'll go to the end of the heavens to find you. So the Noam Gadim, son of the Rapshitzer, says an amazing Torah. He says, Hashem goes to the end of the heavens to find you? I don't know about you, but it's more like the ends of Gehenim, not the ends of Shemayam, to find sometimes. I'm going to the ends of Shemayim. Just say I'm going to the ends of at least I should say I'm going to the ends of the earth. I'm going to the Kitzeha Ha'aretz, I should say, al You know? Okay, the Torah doesn't talk about Gehenim. These are not the. But the, the ends of Shemayim, it means that no matter what a person's done and where they find themselves, you have to know that, that because M'chubr Tar because you have a Chelik el Kamimam, because there's a Nashika between the Mikveh Yisrael Hashem. Between Hashem the was Then, mamila, your guitar is pretty much perfect. It's just missing one string, <coughs> and you figure out how to put it back together. And that's the pshat. Hashem will chase you to the ends of heaven. It means that no matter where you think you are, there's always a piece of Shemayim. I'll find the Shemayim in you, no matter where you find yourself. It means that you think you're already out of heaven, so to speak. You already think that you've turned away from Hashem so much that you're no longer Shaykh to Shemayim. You don't know how far Shemayim goes. Hashem is so big. Like the Baal Shem Tov said, Hashem loves the biggest Rasha more than the biggest Tzaddik loves the other Tzaddikim. Hashem loves the biggest Rasha. That doesn't mean he loves his actions. It doesn't mean he loves what he's doing. It doesn't mean we shouldn't put the sixth string on the guitar. And make sure that we have better hachana for next week so this doesn't happen again. (laughs) So I don't have to make all drosha out of it. We should make sure that that we fix the guitar, that we should do tshuva, that it's not Hashem loves that we're roshayim. It's that Hashem loves us so much, even if we think that we're not shayach to shemaim and we're Hashem will find the shemaim in you no matter where you find yourself. So I'm going to go against the the rules here today because I have, you know, I have a, a very dear friend who... Had a very similar uh, medical history as myself. And he recently, I told some of you about this the other day, some of the Shana guys, he recently published, or is attempting to publish, a, a short work of his writings from the time that he was sick, when he was sick in the hospital. And I read something this week that there was just no way that it wouldn't come out naturally anyway, so I, I went against the rules and I, I printed something that I knew I was going to read in advance. I didn't know exactly how or when. But I want to share something from... My friend, I'm going to not say his name because I don't know if he wants me to say his name. Although everyone will know it once it's published, I suppose, you know, but until that time. And I was reading this, and I don't think he intended it exactly like this. But it's a hemshech of what we were talking about last week, and it's certainly related to what I just said. It's a collection of poems and letters that he wrote to himself when he was going through chemotherapy. The collection is called Chemo Poetry. And one of the letters he wrote is as follows. It's titled, Letters to Myself, number four, because there's a number of them. This is number four. And the letter is called, Two Doctors. It's pretty short. Whoa. It was 21 when he wrote these, so. Whoa. Today I lost my will to live. Tonight I have it back once again. Earlier today as I walked out of the first doctor's office in Sloan Kettering, I was so overwhelmed and impressed by the information and specific detail about me and everything that was presented to us that I felt that it was just too much. Why don't I just move to Israel and learn Torah until I go to the next world, I said to my sister, thinking it was okay to die as long as I died living. Not until I got out of the second doctor's office did I realize that I had lost the will to live earlier. I passed that line and I thought that thought. Being okay with dying in that sense is not okay with me. The will to receive this news and move forward is key. Confidence is key. The first doctor told me about the sickness, the second about the cure. The second doctor gave me back my will. You might find it surprising, but the Gemara self-identifies with a Pasuk, in darkness I dwelt like the dead of the world. And the Gemara says in Sanhedrin and Daf the Talmud Bavli. This is the Talmud Bavli. It's a pretty wild thing to say. I've dwelt in darkness like the dead of the world. This is the Talmud Bavli. There's other, the Tanchum and Noach very famously refers to Torah study on the level of Talmud study and the, the revealed parts of Torah as, as a kamavas, Strong and painful like death. Now all the tzaddikim are already explaining, the Rishonim are already explaining this. Chas doesn't mean that the Talmud Bible is death. It's Chaim Yil Machazikim, but that's what we spend our whole day do, doing here. That's what we, some people who are sitting in this room who have three star of Gemara. The Kane Yirbu. Halacha is the sweetest. I was just saying to somebody before. I'm looking forward to Sukkot. It's a little bit away, but Sukkot, I just sit in my sukkah and I learn halacha all day. Something about Sukkot. Ah, I can't even look at anything else. Halacha niglas Torah is the most sweet thing in the world, but it's called b'machshachim hoshivani kimse olam when it's compared to the inner light of Torah. And we explained last week what that's about. We said last week that there's two types of Torah. There's a type of Torah which points out that the string is broken, it's the halacha. You're not washing the diamond in the right way. Your whole life you thought you were putting on tefillin? Let me tell you something, you weren't putting on tefillin, because the halacha is you're supposed to do it like this, and you didn't do it the right way. Or your tefillin were puzzle. And you had it checked now by a competent person, and they didn't see that, oh, it's puzzle. But you totally broken. The words that you're saying are forbidden by the Torah. that thing that you wanted to do, you can't do it because the Torah doesn't allow it, or you have to do this, even you don't want to do it. That's the world of you have to and you don't have to, what you're supposed to be doing. And there's a whole nother there's a whole nother part of Torah, there's a whole nother aspect of Torah, which goes hand in hand, the two of them have to go together, otherwise you have nothing. There's a whole nother part of Torah that doesn't tell you what you have to do and what you don't have to do because we have that part already. There's another part, like I told you last time, that tells you who you are. That says, a guitar is a six-string instrument. And this is a good guitar, and you're good, and you're not broken, and you're not... It, even if you have something that's not in order, you're not irretrievably broken. ktseya Shamayam, HaShem will find something about you, and He'll lift you up to the place where no matter where you think you are, no matter how far you think you are, away from Shamayim. Hashem will find a little bit of Shemayim in you and He'll revive you from that. Like one spark from a candle that could burn down a whole forest. If there's a forest of darkness, Hashem will find that one spark and it'll burn down the whole thing. So there are two doctors. There's a doctor that tells you the diagnosis. Where would you be without the doctor who gives you the diagnosis? That's why people are so silly. They say, oh, people don't, they don't realize Gemara is is the diagnosis. Halacha is the diagnosis. Hold yourself up to the candle, the, the beautiful candle of Halacha and Gemara, and it will give you the diagnosis. And the diagnosis is sometimes so strong that for a moment you could lose the will to live. You can say, I don't measure up to what's expected of me. But then there's a second doctor who comes in right after the first doctor. And the second doctor gives you back the will to live. And not only gives you back the will to live, but Baruch Hashem, my friend, is alive. He has a few children now, Baruch Hashem. And he's teaching Torah on a college campus in America. And there's a second doctor, there's always a second doctor. And it's not just through learning. A person needs to have people, Chachamim, in their life who point out to them the diagnosis of where things are going wrong. But they also need that person, or maybe it's the same person, who also knows how to turn around and say, aval, but here's the cure. Here's the cure that's going to set you right back in the right direction. And it's on you know, again, as this is coming out in this way right now, if you haven't yet started to read the parsha, at least read it in Hebrew and English a little bit. If you read it with these eyes of two doctors, because the whole parsha is like that. It's like Hashem pushing us so far away and then pulling us back, pushing us and pulling us back. The push and pull of the relationship with Hashem is all for our benefit. And woe unto us if we don't have these two doctors. We need a doctor to give us a strong and true diagnosis. You can't have a doctor who's like, Gentle about it. He needs to tell you what's up. So the doctor's like, no, I think everything's gonna be okay, like maybe just take some Tylenol. It's like, no, there's a serious diagnosis. But the diagnosis is followed by a cure. A spiritual cure. (muchas)
1: Did it out
0: Before. The Zohar Kadosh in many places says that the word Hayom is always a reference to, to Rosh Hashanah. Hayom is always a code word for Rosh Hashanah in the, in the Torah. Atem Nitzavim Hayom, Kulchem. So, the farm are all filled with, I mean, we always read Nitzavim before Rosh Hashanah. It's filled with Joshua that Atem Nitzavim Hayom Kulchem, we all stand, Gibne Maron. Passing before Hashem one at a time. And, Atem mitzav Mayam Kulchem, this Indian standing before Hashem Rosh Hashanah. It's the most wonderful thing to be paid attention to, individually, to have someone's individual attention. So I was talking to Ananad Yishim, he was asking me about the three books, these three books that are open. And he said, I don't understand, you know. He said, what does that mean? So, he didn't say it exactly in these words, but he said, I don't understand. Chafetz <laughs> Chaim was a tzaddik all the years that he lived, and then the year that he died, he was like a rush Like That doesn't make sense. And there are plenty of people who are rushayim, who, who are alive. Like What's this book of life and book of death? And, and the Beno nim and what's the pshat? This, this book of life and book of death. So there's a remarkable Machlokas. It's a Machlokas Rishonim about these books of life and these books of death. According to some Rishonim, the book of life and the book of death that's open on Rosh Hashanah is Kipshuto, is that simple interpretation that a person's life and a person's levels of comfort and sickness and like we say in the Sanat who's going to become rich, who's going to become poor, this and that. The judgment for the year. What does it mean, Sadik in Russia? So those Rushwam will say tzaddik in Russia doesn't mean Chasushal. it doesn't mean the person is a tzaddik. Like we find in, in the Psukim, it says that if two people come to judges, but Russia, you should vindicate the one who is right in the court case, and you should make the other one guilty. Now it doesn't matter if the Tzaddik in that situation is like the town Russia, and the you know, and the Russia in that case who lost the court case is like the Rav of the town. Vis-à-vis the court case, to win a court case means to be tzaddik bedin, tzaddik bedin, and to lose the court case means to lose the the court case means to be called a Russia. It doesn't mean you're a Russia; it's a borrowed term. Just means you lost the case. So they'll say that this is a yearly judgment on a person's situation, and for the tzaddikim who lose the case because of mysterious matters that stand behind how judgment works in Shemayim. That's Tzadik and, and Rasha. But there are others who explain, and if you look in the Shulchan Aruch, if you look in the commentary of the Vilna and the Paskins like this opinion, that the judgment of Rosh Hashanah has nothing to do with life in this world. It is not the case that a person gets judged on their olam haba after 120 years or 180, as my rabbi likes to say, with interest. It's not only after 120 years that you're judged on your olam haba. Actually, every year on Rosh Hashanah, there's a judgment on your olam haba. Now, we have a shayla on that. Opinion as well. What's the point of getting a judgment on your Olam Haba every year? Like it's going to change the, from year to year, until like, do it at the end. And like, what a waste! So inefficient. What's the Psha? So there is a Talmud of Rav Huttner, Rav Zev Haberman, say for Zev Yitrof. He explains in his Mamram to Rosh Hashanah. He says, you know why You have to be judged on Olam Haba every single year. Because in this world we have something that's called Shabbos. Rosh Hashanah is your judgment about your relationship with Shabbos. What a chiddish. Who would have thought? This year we have it. This year Rosh Hashanah is on Shabbos. Rosh Hashanah is a judgment on your relationship with Shabbos. Now, if you think that that sounds odd, just take a minute to remember that Shabbos is the tachlis of the entire creation. It's not just the seventh day ordinarily that it's like after six days. But after six days, the tachlis, the one thing that was missing, Ba-Menucha, Hashem saw there was something missing, Shabbos was missing, and He brought Shabbos to the world, He brought Menucha to the world. So there's a mushal that I heard many years ago from my Rebbe, it's actually in the Torah Sefer, which you can buy at Pomerantz Bookstore, So it's well here free advertising for Pomeran's books, so you could buy lots of other wonderful things there. (coughs) There's a beautiful mushel that I heard from my Rebbe of Moshe Weinberger many years ago, that he said is from the Rishonim, and I believe him 100%, even though I haven't found it. And the moshal goes like this. Once upon a time, there was a king who had an only son. And it came time for that son to get married. time for that son to get married, and the king wanted, it was his only son, so like in Hasidus of Bells, only one person survived the Holocaust, and so now every time they make a Bells wedding, it's like the of the of the whole dynasty, they make a whole fuss. So this was like, they made a a palace, special just for like, they made a building, no holds bar, a whole palace, a whole wedding hall, like a palace, just to have this wedding. It was going to be used one time, and then it was going to be set aside. And no expense was spared. The most beautiful florists were brought in to make the flowers. A chef with hundreds of people working under him to make the most delicious food. A hundred piece orchestra. And the day of the wedding finally came, invitations were sent out. The day came, people came to the palace. Breathtaking. The palace is breathtaking. The flowers, the food, smells delicious, looks delicious. The music is exquisite. And as the king and his son are sitting there by the chassins tish, all of a sudden, one of the king's officers comes running in, pale as a ghost, runs over to the king and the prince, and whispers into their ears, the is not coming. was like an awkward you know, the music comes to a halt and people start whispering. Someone overheard it. Like rapid fire, it goes all the way around and everyone's whispering, Kyle's not coming, Kyle's not coming, Kyle's not coming. The more exquisite and beautiful an item was in the palace, the more disgusting and mocking and degrading it now looks. The chicken on the plate is now like grinning, like you loser. Kyle's not coming. This whole thing, this whole edifice that was created. Every musician is like the flowers. They look like a. They look the flowers look like they're going to throw up. And just as everybody is sitting there ready to rend their clothing, another officer of the king runs in and says, "No, no, she's coming. She's just in traffic. It's probably not the gears on the rishonim. She's coming. She's just. She's a little late. She's just. She's lagging behind a little bit." and the color returns to the king's face, and the color returns to all of the flowers, and the music starts up again, and everything goes, and everything is beautiful. The Rishonim say that this mashul is a mashul for a life with the kala, boi kala, boi kala, boi shabbos malkasa. It's a life with Shabbos and a life without Shabbos. One of the reasons we have this, I I always like to say, I haven't said it, I didn't say it last week. This is the earliest Kabbal Shabbos minion in Yerushalayim, really in the world. We're not doing the Kabbalah Shabbos in Halacha. You can't do that to Plagmincha. It wouldn't matter even if we tried. But the HaKhanah for Shabbos that we're doing here means that we're trying to bring a little bit of the Yom Shekula Shabbos one day earlier. Because anyone who understands that what Rosh Hashanah is coming to to teach us, this book of life and death that's open, is is your life really going to be a life? The judgment on Olam Haba that you're having every year is what's your Shabbos, your Me'in Olam Haba going to look like? And is your life really going to be a life because it's going to be a life of Shabbos? Shabbos is not the end of the week. Shabbos is the middle of the week. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, leading up to Shabbos, then Shabbos, and Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, where you can still make Havdalah. Shabbos <laughs> is, the, is the apex of the week. It's the whole the mountain at the top of the week. And you have one side over here and one side over here. It's the culmination of all of Hashem's work, but it's the center of our reality. It's the inner dimension of life. It's like what the Maharal and Tzfas explain so many times that the number seven means the inner dimension of physicality. If physicality is defined, thank you very much, Dr. Einstein, is by time and space, and space is in four directions plus up and down, is six directions, then Shabbos means the thing that holds it together so that it doesn't rip apart. If the world continues to go like this and this and this and this, eventually it tears at the center, and there needs to be something that's reorienting it back to the center. Shabbos is the Nekud HaKnemis in the middle of the six sides of, of reality and so on Rosh Hashanah when we're standing and we're trying to see everybody, everybody from the greatest of the, of the greatest rabbis to the, to the lowly woodchoppers and water schleppers like the Pasuk says all of us are trying to figure out how to taste and to sneak a little bit more Shabbos into our lives Hashem should help us that these little gatherings that we have, which are way too short, should be an opportunity to make another pipeline to have Shabbos come into our lives. That we shouldn't be people who after Havdalah tomorrow night, whether you're here, wherever you are, we shouldn't be people who are running out, already running away from Shabbos. Halachically, you can keep Shabbos till Chatzos. I'm not saying that you have to do that. But in terms of Isra Malacha, until Chatzos, you could be in the Shabbos completely from Plag Mincha tomorrow until Chatzos, you could be totally in Shabbos. So maybe we're not holding by that, but to add two minutes to Shabbos, when, when Havdalah, don't ask the question, when Shabbos is going to be over? Don't look at your watch and realize that Shabbos is the lifeblood of creation and that what we're preparing for for next week, on our Shana, when we put the, the crown on the king. The king made a big wedding feast for us and he built a beautiful world. And the world is filled with flowers and music and beautiful food and all these different things. But we need to invite the Kala to the world that Hashem created for us. And the Kala is Shabbos. And Shabbos is a lesson of Tshuva also. It's a lesson of returning to Hashem. It's a, it's a lesson of returning to who we are. We should be Zochah.